This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Here you go. Here you go. Underway. That's the Nothing Personal Word of the Day. It is Monday, October 9th, 2023, Indigenous Peoples Day, Columbus Day, an off day for some, a work day for most. Welcome to Nothing Personal. Underway, as in the MLB playoffs, are well underway. We are deep into the division series, or they're underway. Let's go series by series. But if you're looking for like a, CBS Sports HQ or a ESPN or a DraftKings network, whatever network you're on. If you're looking for a recap of each game, I'm not your guy. I sat and watched games all weekend long. I grant you that. But I'm not going to go through the ins and outs of who did what, when, where, and how. I've got some interesting stories that went on. And I want to tell you things that I saw watching four games Saturday and two games on Sunday. Let's start with the fact that there are stats that are thrown out by networks. Here's how it works with a baseball game or any sporting event. You've got the announcers, you've got a producer, you've got people in the truck. Let's go camera one, camera four, camera two. Then you have a stats guy keeping track of what's going on during the course of the game, feeding the announcers different nuggets of information that they can then give to us the discerning audience. There's a stat that is often used that used to be one of my favorites. It's the record of a team that scores first in a game and how important it is to score first. So in the division series and wild card, that's where we are in the postseason. There have been, I guess, 14 games that have taken place. If you score first, you're 11 and three. And the Brewers were two of those losses because they scored first against the Diamondbacks. Both games, Diamondbacks won both games, but forgetting the Brewers then, 11 and one. So we would sit around talking to our players, talking to our staff. Hey, you know, it'd be really great if we could score first. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. Yes, scoring first matters. That's like the padded football stats of a losing quarterback who has all of these yards and completion attempts because you can't run the ball when you're down 20. Scoring first matters. Okay, let's talk about the first series because the Rangers-Orioles series is surprising everybody but you 
because as you heard me say on Nothing Personal, the Rangers are going to win that series. They were my predictive winner. I did not know that they would sweep Baltimore. They are up two games to zero on the road. Series is over. Now, the stats will tell you only 89% of teams that win the first two on the road go on to win the series or the first two period go on to win the series in a five-game series. This series is over. The Orioles will not be able to sweep the Rangers three in a row. Even though the Rangers are quite streaky, it's not going to happen. And all I could think of while watching the first two games of that series and looking at Camden Yards and seeing it full, seeing everyone wearing Orioles stuff, seeing how proud everyone was to be an Orioles fan, all I kept thinking about is what kind of hellscape they've been through as a fan base. I was thinking about the Angeloses and what they were doing, where they were watching, did the two brothers watch in different suites because they don't really get along? Where does the mother go? Does she stay with John? Does she go with Louie? And then I was looking at Brandon Hyde and Freddie Gonzalez. Freddie Gonzalez is on Brandon Hyde's coaching staff. Freddie Gonzalez was our manager in, in Miami, led us to that great season in 2009. Loved having him as a manager, was very sorry to have fired him. He was the guy who started managing the Braves and then he managed the Marlins. Then he went on to manage the Braves. And now he's back in Baltimore. And I was thinking, these young guys in Baltimore, if you watched Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, so many of these players who they drafted and developed, losing 100 games for so many years, really doing a rebuild correctly. And all I could think about is what they're thinking when they have to put Jack Flaherty on the mound in a game that was mostly out of reach. Jack Flaherty was the St. Louis Cardinals pitcher who was brought in at the deadline. It was the only deadline deal that was made by Baltimore. And at the time, I explained to you that I like the pickup. He's good depth. He's a good piece to have, good experience, good in the clubhouse, but not exactly the type of help that you're looking for at the deadline. And I don't mean that you have to bring in the most well-known names or bring on the most salary. And I reminded you what Atlanta did a couple of years ago with players that you probably didn't even hear of who they brought in at the deadline who helped them win the World Series. In Baltimore, the players in the clubhouse around the deadline, when they knew that they were having a special season and they did not get help, they are the exact type of team that does not get impacted by that lack of help. When you're young in baseball and playing well, those players believe they're invincible. They believe they're going to win every year. They're going to win every game. They're never going to get hurt. And they're going to all go on to make tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. In a clubhouse that has more veterans sprinkled in, and the Orioles have a couple, but not like other teams, who have a combination of youth and veterans, you can't get away with what the Orioles got away with during the deadline time. Because the veterans would make it known to the young players, hey, listen, this front office doesn't have our back. But Baltimore, they didn't say that, act that way. They have just run into a way better team. And when you've got young players who are gonna be superstars, the presumptive rookie of the year in Gunnar Henderson, your job is to protect him. And we saw that during one of the games, game one, 
Ninth inning, down a run. Gunnar Henderson on first. Gunnar Henderson tries to steal second, gets thrown out. Aaron Hicks is at the plate. He ends up striking out or grounding out, game over, and the Rangers win game one, three to two. They happen to show on TV the manager, Brandon Hyde, looked not too happy that Gunnar Henderson had been thrown out. And the question was, what happened? Word got leaked. The first thought is that Gunnar Henderson had missed a sign. They called it a miscommunication. But the Orioles were not going to let Gunnar Henderson get hung out to dry. So the Orioles had it leaked out there that in fact it was Aaron Hicks who missed the hit and run sign, not Gunnar Henderson who thought he got a steal sign, but it wasn't a steal sign. Of course, that's what the Orioles want to say. Why not blame Aaron Hicks, a more veteran guy making a ton of money paid for by the Yankees, signed at the minimum, who's been a good addition for the Orioles, but not really your future versus Gunnar Henderson, who is. Why wouldn't you put the blame on Aaron Hicks and not Gunnar Henderson in order, in order for the media and the fans and everybody else to think, all right, thank God, Gunnar has good baseball IQ, no problem. I saw right through it. There's no way Brandon High was putting the hit and run sign on there. There was no need to do it. And there was also no reason for Gunnar to try stealing against time, no less. How does that work? When you're on first base, what you often see when a player hits a single, when a player walks, the first base coach goes to the player, they cover their mouths, they talk to the player. It's the third base coach who's giving signs. So when you're a runner, you're looking to the third base coach for the signs. The third base coach gets the signs from the dugout. So there's someone in the dugout, sometimes it's the bench coach, sometimes it's the manager directly. They'll do nose, ear, nose, chin, nose, ear, cap. And there'll be an indicator. That's how it works with signs. You look for the indicator. It's the sign after the chin touch. So they'll go nose, ear, nose, chin. All right, next is what you're looking for. Nose means steal or pick off or hit and run. You go through the signs before every game even when you're not changing them. But in a belt and suspenders situation, the first base coach is indicating to the runner on first what's happening. And you're doing it like this, covering your mouth. If you're watching this on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, you can see, I'm sort of covering my mouth. He can't really hear, he can't see. Still, still, still. It is impossible that Gunnar Henderson missed a sign. It is impossible that Aaron Hicks missed a sign. There are players who miss signs. I absolutely grant you that. But in a playoff game, we would tell our coaches, get acknowledgement from the player. Sometimes you see the third base coach go all the way down the line toward home base to get the attention of the hitter. Sometimes you see the first base runner acknowledge to the third base coach that they've got the sign. There is always that level of acknowledgement because you've got to make sure that everybody knows what's happening. 
And if you believe that not everybody is on it, you call timeout and you stop, you have the batter to call timeout, which you're allowed to do. And then you do the signs again and you make sure everybody knows. Haven't you ever seen the third base coach with the batter calls timeout? He actually goes and meets with the, the, the hitter. I give Baltimore credit for trying to throw Aaron Hicks under the bus because one of the themes of this show is the number of times that organizations throw players or managers or people under the bus. It's the assignment of blame. After that game one loss, it would have been very easy for Brandon Hyde or for anybody else just to say, hey, he got thrown out, great catch, great throw. It was a great idea, didn't work. We'll go get him next time. But for whatever reason, we as media and we as fans, we demand to assign blame whenever something goes differently or wrong. I found that to be less than, less than good what the Orioles did there, but understanding why they would protect Gunner versus Aaron. So the Orioles lose game one, they go into game two. When you're the home team losing game one, you've got to win game two or the series is over. All the pressure's on. The Rangers go into game two saying, we got one, let's get greedy because the road team in a, any playoff series, five or seven, you're looking to split the first two. You get the split when you win game one. When you win game one, hey, let's win game two. And the Rangers came out behind Jordan Montgomery and they scored. Their offense is lethal. It is streaky, but when it gets going, their, their batting lineup is as deep as the Astros. They are the two deepest lineups in this playoffs. And wow, it was way too much for the Orioles pitching to handle. And the Rangers got to fly last night home up to nothing in a five-game series. That'll do it. It's over. Next series was Twins-Astros. Game one was fascinating in that Verlander did what Verlander does. He's not the Verlander of old. He uses a lot of breaking stuff. The, the Houston Astros win. Everyone's assuming it's going to be a sweep. And then last night in game two, the Twins come back. Carlos Correa for the Twins. Unbelievable game. Three runs batted in. Twins split. They got the split they wanted. But what I loved about the Astros Twins is what happened with our guy, Mattress Mac. If you don't know Mattress Mac, then you've sort of been asleep. He's the guy who bets millions of dollars on the Astros to win the World Series. And he says, if the Astros win the World Series, then everybody who comes to my store, you'll get a refund for all purchases made between X date and Y date. And he hedges that promotion by making these big bets and they see him flying into Vegas or flying into all the casinos and placing all these crazy sports bets. It's what he does. He's famous for it. He's become the Spike Lee of the Astros. And it's not that I'm saying Spike Lee wagers on games. I don't know whether he does or doesn't. It's he's associated with the Knicks. Jack Nicholson, Lakers, Mattress Mac Astros. You don't have that a lot. You have Marlins man with Marlins. You really, and by the way, Marlins man who happened to be in Milwaukee watching the Diamondbacks instead of Philly watching the Marlins. Come on, Lawrence. I know that you had plans to be there, so I'm just giving you a little, a little shade here on nothing personal. So Mattress Mac did a video that made me smile. 
he was going to throw out the first pitch before the Astros game one. Right before the game, he got notified that he was no longer able to throw the first pitch. Why? Because there is a company called Mattress Firm. Mattress Firm is a sponsor of Major League Baseball. Mattress Mac is not. When you host playoff games, your entire in-game presentation is taken over by Major League Baseball. Now, Major League Baseball will work with you. They will let you do your in-between inning things that you do, whether it's the creature race or whether it's the freeze man, whether it's the shell game on the board. But every activation, every first pitch, anthem that you control during the season, that is controlled by Major League Baseball. They tell you what signs need to be covered up, even though you end up not covering them up, but there are issues. So for example, if MLB is a Coke-sponsored league and you are a Pepsi-sponsored stadium like Minute Maid is in Houston, there are certain rules about what MLB has the right to exploit and what you still have the right to exploit given that your sponsors fight with MLB sponsors. In an ideal world, MLB's national sponsors would also sponsor each team locally, but that does not happen across all categories. So there are meetings that take place before the playoffs between MLB and the home team. Different departments meet as you are told exactly what you're able to do and what you're not able to do. One thing that you're never going to win is giving a first pitch to a corporate sponsor who is in direct opposition to a league sponsor. We wouldn't even ask for that because you know it's not going to be allowed. You don't promise that in any of your local sponsorship deals, which means when we cut deals with local sponsors, we give them an outfield wall sign, season tickets, use of a suite, X number of first pitches, X number of batting practice passes. You can only give those things for the regular season. MLB controls the field during the postseason, So you can't even invite people to BP without MLB knowing. Whereas during the regular season, your BP is your BP, do whatever you want. And the reason MLB controls the postseason and the activations is that all of the revenue that comes into baseball from its sponsors 90% of it is based on postseason. 90% of the rights fees are based on postseason. Yeah, they do a game of the week, they do Sunday night baseball, they do baseball on Saturday afternoons, but 90% is a rough number of what a network would pay a league to get just postseason. Part of what sponsors do when they are national sponsors is that they're interested in the postseason activation. So that is why you do not allow a conflict between a team and the league. So it was just a situation that was embarrassing in my mind for the Astros because there was no reason to even make him that offer to do a first pitch in a playoff game because you knew it was going to happen. MLB was not going to apologize. Mattress Firm was going to say that had nothing to do with us because they don't want to look bad to the people of Houston and to the people around the world to be so petty. But of course it was them. 
if I'm mattress firm and I'm sponsoring baseball and I find out that a competitor is going to throw first pitch or get any amount of attention, of course I'm going to stop it. I'm going to hope that the league doesn't make me say anything, but often the league is asleep at the switch or the team is asleep at the switch, which means the sponsor has to pay attention. If I'm mattress firm, I do exactly what they did, which is say, hey, mia culpa, but they made the call. Phillies Braves. Baseball is the greatest sport ever, isn't it? Do you know the Atlanta Braves had not been shut out at home all season long? And of course, they got shut out the first game of the postseason. What are the odds of that? How does that happen? Game two is tonight. I'm pretty excited about it. Phillies are again where the Rangers were after winning game one on the road in their series. It's where the Diamondbacks are after winning game one of their series, which we'll get to. If you can get greedy and get the second, do it. The Phillies had to deal with their own issue during the course of that game. They removed their starter early, Ranger Suarez. And the question is, who, do, who makes that decision? Whose call is that? That's going to come up after we break, which we're not breaking right now. That series is still the most exciting of the postseason so far. Make sure you watch Phillies and Braves tonight. We likely will have a pick of the day. But I want to get to the last series that we watched game one of this weekend, and it was the Dodgers-Diamondbacks. I picked the Diamondbacks to win this series because I told you the Dodgers are not the Dodgers. I told you that Kershaw is a middle of the rotation to the bottom of the rotation guy. I had no idea. I don't want to take the credit because there's no way I anticipated that Clayton Kershaw would have the single worst start of his entire Hall of Fame career. Historic in how bad it was in game one against the Diamondbacks. He recorded one out total. He gave up six runs, recorded one out. He'd never done that. Do you know that he was pulled after a third of an inning? Guess how many times Clayton Kershaw has lasted under an inning in his career? Zero. It is the most bizarre thing. Kershaw, who was so dominant during the regular season and so mediocre during the, per season, during the postseason. I love that. Because it doesn't change the fact that Kershaw is a first ballot Hall of Famer. But it certainly makes you wonder. And it's not a small sample size because the Dodgers are in the playoffs all the time. He is 13 and 13 with a 449 in the postseason. Think about that. 13 and 13. That's like a season with a 449. And during the regular season in his career, he's won 210 games with a 2.48 ERA. That is Hall of Fame, first ballot worthy. It is so strange that he can be so bad. It's not like he's not a big game pitcher. But also, after 26 games, 26 decisions, it's no longer that small a sample size. But I know Clayton Kershaw. He's tough as nails. Very strange. So the last thing about these series is something that you're not going to hear about except on Nothing Personal, but I wanted to just inform you of something. The Diamondbacks flew to LA for their series and they ran into a problem, a problem that they had to release a statement about, which does not happen often. The Diamondbacks released a statement that said, upon landing last night, we were made aware through social media of a labor dispute at our hotel. 
Unfortunately, due to the unique and demanding travel accommodations needed to meet our team's requirements, as well as the large size of our travel party, we were unable to relocate. The other sports teams staying in the same hotel faced similar challenges. And then it says the Arizona Diamondbacks support the rights of individuals to receive fair and equitable compensation as evidenced by our own strong history and commitment to collective bargaining agreements. What happened here? What happened is that there was a strike at a hotel, a team hotel. But when you are a baseball team, you cannot just snap your fingers and switch hotels. There are things that a team hotel has that are in place for when a team arrives. So for example, everybody is pre-checked in, all keys are printed, and all players and all staff have an envelope waiting for them on a table right when they walk into the hotel. You grab your key, you go to your room. They've got enough people in the lobby working to get all luggage delivered to players and staff upon arrival. They promise to have 24 hours of room service as well as food ready in the lobby when the players come. There is security measures in place for the lobby and for where the buses come to pick up the players as they leave the hotel to go to the ballpark or arrive back from the ballpark. There are accommodations made with the city in order to guarantee that space in front of the hotel is empty for the bus to stay while it waits for players. There are certain hotels that bid to be team hotels and other hotels don't want to be bothered. There have to be blocks of rooms where the players are on certain floors, the suites are on certain floors. There's a togetherness because that's necessary for security. There is extra security. When you find out that your hotel has a labor issue, there is nothing you can do on short notice. There are a bunch of different hotels that you could stay at in Los Angeles, but you certainly can't do it at the last minute because no hotel would have that amount of availability. There is a chance that if Arizona has to go back for a game five that, and the labor situation is still happening, that they would be able in that short period of time to find a different hotel and make a deal and get it done. But for games one and two, they would not be able to do it. And the reason why Arizona felt, and I disagree with this, there was no reason for them to release a statement. This is a story that never would have made the light of day. The Diamondbacks were not going to be criticized for staying at this hotel. If they were, then they could do this statement. But I often tell you that I like being proactive, not reactive. But in this case, there was no reason at all to be proactive. There is no amount of PR negativity coming because they were staying at this hotel. And I get it that right now we're in a very pro-labor situation in our country. There's a bunch of strikes going on. Labor is feeling more emboldened to strike and I'm fine with whatever that is. But I don't think the Diamondbacks needed to release that statement. They are in a great position having won game one. Tonight is game two and they've got a Cy Young candidate going. The Dodgers are in trouble exactly as I told you they would be. All right, when we come back, we're going to review a movie, the new Netflix movie called Reptile. And then I've got to talk about what happened in Miami this weekend because I still, 48 hours later, cannot believe how the Hurricanes lost their game. And I wanna talk about what really happened there. We'll be right back.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It is Monday, October 9th. Thank you for being with us live on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Thank you for everybody who is buying merchandise and sending me photos. Coco, we've gotten so many photos of people in the horse hockey and the wait to see. I was very happy to see some regular Nothing Personal logoed merchandise and some photos, but no doubt that the specialty shirts are outselling everything. So thank you for that. Although we've studied now in the month that we've been open, two months we've been open, mugs are really the number one seller. More people buy mugs, I'm not sure why. I guess because you all drink coffee and so you have them, I love that. But I love the outward facing things, the shirts that you wear to the grocery store or to pick up your kids or whatever it is you're doing. Hey, what's that? What's horse hockey? Well, let me tell you what horse hockey is. I watch a movie every day. It's been a great weekend of content. I don't want to tell you about my weekend right now. I may do it tomorrow. I'm not in the mood. I'm too despondent about it. All right, all right. Let me be quick. I was sick all weekend. I got a vaccine. At my age, you have to get the flu vaccine. You have to get the shingles vaccine. At any age, you should do that. There's the new COVID vaccine. So when I get vaccines, this is how it is. I get sick. In theory, some people get away without getting sick. I do not. I'm happy to admit to you that I'm a baby when I'm sick. I am in tears. I want my mommy. I want someone to take care of me. I'm in the fetal position sucking my thumb. I'm sweating, I've got chills. I'm pumping Tylenol like it's Tic Tacs. Miserable, can't eat, can't sleep. On Sunday morning, I went to bed Saturday night. I'm watching the games, paying attention. Went to bed at 12.30, woke up at two. Went down and put on a double feature of She's Out of My League and The Truman Show. Did that double feature to get me through the night because I knew I could doze in and out. Just all day yesterday felt like crap. I'm better today. These vaccines are totally worth it in my mind. But man, the 48 hours after you get them truly suck for me. For those of you who don't get symptoms, way to go. I spoke to my doctor about it and my body is my body. That is what I'm gonna be forever. And I react to vaccines. So you get, the, you get the fever and the chills, it's like you're sick. And I'm the guy, cause I'm such a hypochondriac, that when I'm sick, I assume I'm actually sick. So I thought I actually had COVID or the flu this weekend, even though in my brain, I'm like, yeah, but you got the vaccine, you're fine. No, no, I'm not fine, I'm dying. That was my weekend, it was miserable. But I still watch movies. I watched Reptile on Netflix. 
Maybe we'll do a top five this week with Adnan on Levitard show. Top five Benicio Del Toro movies. I don't exactly know why Alicia Silverstone has second billing of this movie when it should be Justin Timberlake. And the movie poster that you're seeing on the screen above my left shoulder or next to me shows how they did it. This is not a mistake. Justin Timberlake is second in billing, as you see the names on top. But on the movie poster, he's third, first from the left, third from the right, but smaller in size. Would you be shocked that all that gets negotiated prior to the movie? Don't be, because it does. If you love Benicio Del Toro, you will love Reptile. My problem with Reptile is how formulaic it is. It is a murder mystery and it is about drugs. It's about crime. It's about who did it, who's honest, who's not, who's crooked, who's not. Hey, I trust you, you're my guy. Oh no, I shouldn't trust you, you're not my guy. All right, I'll trust my guy's guy. Ah, oh, Christ, my guy's guy's in it too, or maybe he's not. Am I the only one not in it? Am I the only honest cop? We've seen this before. Ever seen Lethal Weapon? I don't like talking about Mel Gibson movies, but Lethal Weapon's Lethal Weapon. There's something cool about Reptile. Seen Francis Fisher, seen Justin Timberlake. But if you're a Benicio Del Toro fan, you gotta watch it. If you're a Justin Timberlake fan, I liked Friends with Benefits better. I like The Social Network better. I like a bunch of movies he's been in better. Um, in Time, way better. But for Benicio Del Toro, he's the star of this movie. If you love him, watch it. If you don't love him, you can skip it. All right, let's go to Miami. Coca, I'm missing something for sure. So I need your help. The Miami Hurricanes played a game on Saturday and they were they won the game over Georgia Tech. They were running out the clock and instead of taking a knee, they did a handoff and the guy fumbled. Georgia Tech recovered and then went like 74 yards in 20 seconds in two plays and won the game. All the coach had to do was take a knee. You put the play in, you go to the victory formation and you take a knee and the clock runs out. You don't need to run a play. It is a foolproof way to run the clock out and win the game. It always works. Oh, a legal procedure, you lose five yards, I don't care. It always works because time runs out. What possibly could have happened? So I did a little work into it, did a little reading. And it turns out the coach of the Miami Hurricanes is not a knee guy. Now, when I talk about what guys are, hey, I'm not a blank guy. Oh, I like this, I like that. When I'm a coach, I tend to run with two strikes. I've got certain things that I tend to do that I like doing. I take this certain chance at a certain moment and I'm consistent in that. I like going for it on fourth down, even in my own side of the field when I'm five yards or fewer because I trust my quarterback. All things that are fine and can be debated and you can get evaluated on. You sit down with your coach and you talk about, hey, tell me, let's look at the playbook. Where's your head on this scenario, that scenario? Normal, I'm good with it. There's certain things that are not debatable. When you can run the clock out, you run the clock out. Remember Patrick Mahomes and the 
big, bad beat where the Chiefs could have covered, but Mahomes was smart enough to go down for at a first down, even at the one-yard line, so they could take a knee, end the game, and win the game but not cover a couple weeks ago. I'm going to call for this, and it's not nice, although it's what I do. Mario Cristobal, I would have fired him on the spot, and I mean that. Even though it's complicated to fire a coach, even though in college you got to deal with boosters and you've got to deal with John Ruiz, even though he's not a booster anymore. He's worried about his own freedom, actually, so you don't have to deal with him. But you don't want to look like you're panicked. You never want to let them see you sweat. But I want to understand that if I had a professional coach, an NFL coach who did that, who the clock was running out and they didn't understand it and ran a play, that's it. You don't come back from that. When Coke and I were preparing for this show today, Coca said something fascinating to me. He said, my question is, where is everyone on his staff? I wanna answer that question. Because I like where your head's at, Matt. Why wouldn't the offensive coordinator look at him and say, dude, take a knee? Or the defensive coordinator, special teams coach, anybody. The president of the university should have run down onto the field, said, excuse me, take a knee. But when you're in a game situation, one of the things that you teach is chain of command. There are certain people empowered to question the ultimate commander of a game, but most are not empowered to do so. You will not ever see a special teams coach go to a head coach and question what the head coach is doing on offense. You will not see a defensive coordinator get into the headphone of the head coach and say, what, why are you calling that play? The only candidate, it wouldn't even be the offensive line coach. The only candidate would be the offensive coordinator. But even then, the head coach is deferred to so significantly that I'm not surprised no one went up to him and said, what are you doing? Why are we doing this? But then Coca told me something even worse. He said that Mario Cristobal doesn't like taking knees. He didn't take knees in other games where he could have, but it worked out fine. They didn't fumble the ball, they won the game. That can't be so. I'm gonna say BS to that. Because when you're interviewing a coach or you're the athletic director and in, over, in theory, you're overseeing a coach, and you know that that coach has a weird proclivity not to manage the clock right, aren't you gonna deal with that and tell him that he's gotta change? If you are a Hurricanes fan, you're asking for an explanation. And Cristobal was asked, and he said there was no confusion out there. I'm not gonna make an excuse for it and say we should have done this or that. Sometimes we can get carried away, but I should have just stepped in and said, hey, take a knee. Is he throwing the offensive coordinator under the bus? Is he saying that the offensive coordinator called a play in a kneel situation? And that he didn't step in, but now he says, I guess I should have? Timeout. Coca, did the Hurricanes have a timeout? Even if they didn't. If I'm the head coach of a team and I see the team lining up to run a play when they should be taking a knee, I'm running onto the field. I'm attacking a referee, not physically, to call a timeout. If I have no times out, I'm running on the field to take a delay, take the five yards, don't care. He's gonna say, here's a theme for the show. He's gonna say, 
Hey, we got carried away. Sorry. Quite, quite strange, all these people throwing others under the bus. What is it about our society right now that is causing that? It clearly is something. I guess we feel as though that if you can blame someone else, you won't look at me. At the end of every season, major league general managers and presidents give press conferences. The press conference of the Toronto Blue Jays was an absolute joke. Ross Atkins is the GM of the Blue Jays. He works for Mark Shapiro, who's the president of baseball operations, but takes on presidential business roles as well. Ross Atkins met the media, and the big question was all about the decision to pull Berrios. I want to show you video of what Ross Atkins did to his manager, John Schneider, and then we're going to talk about it. Meetings are John Schneider's meetings. He has a group of individuals that he prepares with every day. His process routine, his preparation was no different that day. Uh, the group is the staff that's on the field. It's not the front office. I do not attend these meetings, and I certainly do not make those decisions. When that decision occurred, I found out about it when you did. Uh, when you say it was getting warm in the first inning, it was obviously very clear that we had a strategy to potentially deploy. There was no plan to concretely deploy that. John Schneider made that decision to deploy that, and <clears throat> that, that's, what, that's what occurred. Horse hockey. The GM, after saying that John Schneider, the manager, is going to come back, blames the manager for making that call. I told you how it works, and I'm standing by it. For Ross Atkins, the GM, to claim that he had no idea that their plan was to go from Berrios uh, to Kikuchi, it's just, he's lying to you. Why did he feel it was necessary to put the blame on his manager? Even if it is the manager's fault, stand there and take it like a man. You protect your manager like your manager protects your players. I always protected everyone as president. Hey, it's on me. I'm the one in charge of the company. I'm the one who did it. Why wouldn't Ross Atkins just say, yeah, that was our plan and it didn't work out. Normally it does work out. We have sound reason to do the things we do. Of course, it's disappointing. What a weak POS to do that to somebody. How do you think John Schneider feels when he sees that? Oh man, I can't wait to come to work for you next year. I'm all in. I know you've got my back. It's downright pathetic. Why don't you at least think about it before you throw someone under the bus and just wonder whether it's even going to work? Do you think that it takes all the spotlight off you when you do that? And that everyone says, oh yeah, it was that guy's fault, not your fault? We can all be better. I can be better with my picks of the day. We had a pretty good weekend. We had Verlander and the Astros over the Twins on Saturday. That worked. That's a win. We had a parlay that we told you to do with the Detroit Lions and the Cincinnati Bengals. If you watched football yesterday, the Lions are good. I still have a way to see that Dan Campbell doesn't last his full contract, but that said, the Lions are good. Joe Burrow finally played like Joe Burrow, and that parlay won. And then I was stupid enough to take Denver over the Jets. I could have swept the weekend. Instead, I go two and one. We're 139 and 143. I want to take a second. Have you seen a team worse than the Broncos? 
Sean Payton deserves everything that's coming his way. He was so vociferous in his criticism of Nathaniel Hackett. Nathaniel Hackett was the coach of the Broncos last year, one year out. Payton saying it's the worst coaching job I've ever seen. Meet Payton saying the team wasn't disciplined, didn't perform. Meanwhile, his team that he took over from that bad coach is as bad as Hackett was last year. The difference is Sean Payton makes a lot more money, has a lot more job security. But if I'm Rob Walton, the owner, I'm thinking to myself, what the hell did I do? Meanwhile, Hackett goes to the Jets to become the offensive coordinator under Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, but yet the players rally around Nathaniel Hackett and they're super excited that they got the win. And I should have known when making that pick. And for whatever reason, I wasn't thinking that way. But I should have known that the Jets would have extra motivation to kick the Broncos' ass. And I should have just known that Sean Payton is a fraud. But hats off to him in a world of money. He managed to convince Rob Walton that he was the answer to his $4 billion prayers. So we are 139 and 143. We've got two picks tonight. We've got Monday night football and we've got two baseball games. Let me get to my picks. Number one, let's talk about the football game tonight. We've got the Raiders and Packers going in Vegas. The Raiders are two point favorites over the Packers. Jordan Love has done a fine job of taking over for Aaron Rodgers. He has made Packers fans and Packers nation okay with Rodgers leaving. But the reason why they're okay with Rodgers leaving is 90% because of the guy Rodgers is and 10% because they have faith in Jordan. That 10% is growing because Love is playing well, but the Packers aren't good. So we're taking the Raiders minus two. Now let's talk about the baseball game. I picked the Braves. You, you know my four division series picks. I have the Astros over the Twins, they're tied at one. I have the Diamondbacks over the Dodgers, they're up one nothing. I had the Rangers over the Orioles. They're up 2-0. And I had the Braves over the Phillies. The Braves lost game one. The Braves will not get shut out. Is there a bet we can make that the Braves score a run tonight? What do we have to lay for that? I guess minus 10,000 maybe? In any case, Max Fried is going. And you're going to hear a lot about blisters. And it's why they're only minus 162 against Wheeler and the Phillies. In a must-win game, the Braves are not going to go down 0-2 at home to the Phillies. It's not going to happen. This is game five, deciding game for the Braves. If they don't win, they will be eliminated. They will not be able to win two in a row at Citizens Bank. So the Braves are a mortal lock. So we're going to take the Braves, and we're going to take the Raiders. All right, we did not get to a couple of things that I wanted to. So a quick shout out before we go to Kelvin Kiptum. He broke the record. The Chicago Marathon was yesterday. I've run the Chicago Marathon. It's very hard because you have no cell service in Chicago. And so your GPS keeps going in and out. So you never know where you are. You never know how fast you're going. It totally screws with your head. Unless you're running four and a half minute miles, in which case you don't even need a watch. It's a full sprint. I can't run one four and a half minute mile, neither can you. Well, 99.9% .9 of the listeners cannot. He won the marathon in two hours and 35 seconds. That's a world record, folks. Congratulations to him. And I just wanna tell you that where this ends, he's gonna break two hours. The unbreakable record. 
there's going to be a marathon in under two hours. Well, this 45-minute sprint is done. We will be back tomorrow. It's just business. Enjoy your day. This is nothing personal. Thank <laughs> you.